Welcome, science and sci-fi geeks. This is Interface to Face, the podcast that brings you the interviews with some really cool people. I'm Chuck Tomasi. And I am Craig Stapp. We are very excited to have on the show this time, Gil Gerard. We met Gil last year in DragonCon 2009. He was kind enough to let us take a photo with him. And this year, when we asked him for an interview, he said, How about now? You probably know Gil from... Buck Rogers. Buck Rogers, absolutely. He was, of course, Buck Rogers back in the 70s. And he's still around. He's still doing these cons, and he's having a good time. And uh, we were... We were intrigued by the stories he had to tell, not just about Buck Rogers, but he's got some other projects on the table, which you will soon find out in this interview. So here we go. You are How are you doing today? I am awesome. How about yourself? Terrific. Having a good day. Dragon Con enjoyable? Oh, yeah. It's always good to wake up on this side of the grass anyway, no matter what I'm doing. I heard you use that on on someone else's podcast. I use it all the time. That's one of my favorite lines. Somebody says, how's it going? You know, living the dream is so passe. But waking up on the right side of the grass, everybody can. (laughs) (laughs) Well, tell us. uh, We were doing a little research on you earlier and found out that you did not start out as an actor. No, I started out as a small baby. Uh, and then I went to kindergarten, and you know I was just a regular child. And this is going to be a long interview. I threw a I, th- I threw a paper round, and uh, I mean I, I was a college student. I actually went to high school and played football. And uh, yeah, I didn't start out as an actor. No, I, you look like a football player. Actually, I, I'm more noted as a medalist swimmer in college. So really, yeah. Did you? Did the, it's like the first swimming team they would had in like 800 years at the school. So the medal didn't happen to be lead. No, it was actually from the NAIA, uh, the national meet. For the, that's the National Intercollegiate Athletic something or other. I don't remember anymore. Too many drinks. Grew up in Alabama. No, Arkansas. Arkansas. Sorry. Good research. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, yeah, Wikipedia. Hey, wonder. Oh, man. <laughs> we'll go fix that one. Oh, that's that what answer. editing is for. Turn in your <laughs> iPad. You're not qualified. <laughs> that's right. Good Lord. Fail. You were born in Alabama, huh? No, I wasn't. But you, you, you did not start out as an actor, as a career. No, oh, as a career, no. Actually, I would, didn't have a career. I was just biding my time because I didn't know what the hell I wanted to do. And uh, so I got a job as an industrial chemist for a while. A chemist? Yeah. Did you go to school to be a chemist? Uh, no, I went to school actually to be a doctor. And um, I went to, an, to my first interview at medical school, and I realized I didn't really want to do this. It was a whole lot of work for something that I really didn't want to do. I was sort of, you know how your parents, oh, be a doctor, you know, whatever. And I'm not even Jewish. So um, so I thought, well, I'll be a doctor, you know. And this girl I was dating would, wouldn't have dated me if I hadn't been a doc, going to be a doctor. And so, and no, she wasn't that good. But anyway, I, I decided. It's funny how the women can influence oh, you that it's way. It's amazing, sad. I mean, we were so insecure. Oh, you want a doctor? Okay, I'll be a doctor. Um, but I'd had enough math and chemistry and all that kind of stuff in pre-med uh, that I ended up as a math major and a chemistry and biology minor So I because I had so much of that stuff. Uh, and I got offered this job uh, as an industrial chemist, so I took it. And apparently that went pretty well because I heard there was a, a promotion in the works. Well, uh, yeah, the guy wanted me to, he wanted me to consider being a, a vice president or something. Uh, and the funny thing was he wanted me, you know, to go back to school and get a master's. Well, it's like I didn't have a bachelor's. You know, they'd asked me if I'd graduated. And I said, oh, yeah. High school. I lied. No, I, I lied. That's uh, I my resume. Yeah. The great thing about, you know, the great thing about sort of cleaning that up was that uh, I could stop looking over my shoulder because I figured somebody's going to catch me. Right. You know. Yep. 
I mean, they're going to find out that I don't have a sheepskin, you know. But they never did. Uh, and then I got this offer, and I was like, I can't really do that, you know. But I was I was about ready to to uh, stop doing it anyway. I was kind of like, is this really what I want to do the rest of my life? Uh, I was making good money, and I had a company car and all this other stuff. And then I thought, nah, I don't know. So I really kind of started looking through the what I call the card file of my mind. And what came up for me was acting. It's something I had done uh, when I was in grade school and high school and college. I had a singing group in college called the Ridgeman Trio. And uh, I realized that that was something I had really enjoyed all aspects of. I enjoyed the rehearsal as well as the performance. And uh, kind of liked the people who were in that kind of business, even though it was an amateur level, because they had an excitement that most people don't have. You know, and uh, I found that since I became a professional, that people do have that kind of excitement still. Did you think at that time that that's where you'd end up, or was that just a, a passing fancy that you, you, were, you were doing? No, I, I've used the analogy many times that my life was kind of out of focus. You know, like I'm holding my hands up here with, you know, like, like this. And when I decided to become an actor, it was amazing because everything kind of went clonk and came very sharp. And I knew that's what I wanted to do. Any epiphany? Of course, as happens with all young people, how many times do you go to your parents and go, this is what I really want to do? <laughs> like, okay, we're going to bite one more time. My mother cried. You're like, oh, he's not, not going to be a doctor. He's going to be an actor. Oh, my God. Yeah. So and I said, you know, really, I know I've said this many times, but this is really something that is, like, organically right for me. So I resigned. I was on two advisory task forces to the governor of Arkansas, one for the metalworking industry and one for the chemical or the oil industry. Uh, in the chemical industry. And so I resigned from all that stuff, sold my car, had a, my own car, quit my job, and uh, moved to New York, started driving a cab and going to acting school. And I haven't looked back, and that was 1969. Brilliant. Now, you, you're best known for, obviously, Buck Rogers in yeah. the 25th century. 79, 80, 81, I believe yeah. it was. Yeah. And uh, But you've played a number of other roles that... It, People no, may before not. Before and after I did, yeah. Yeah. The uh, I had forgotten many of these until I started looking again. It's like there was Little House on the Prairie, right? And, uh, and more recently, some of the the listeners might be more familiar with um, the Star Trek fan film. Yeah, that's the uh, the website, the web webisodes. Mm-hmm. It hasn't aired yet. It's a, an episode called Katumba, and I play an admiral in it, which was fun. I was actually up there to discuss something else with them and. Uh, another project and they said oh would you do this part it'd be really cool and i said sure how did that compare with some of the more commercial endeavors shall we say um the hours were a lot longer uh you know you're dealing with a crew that's made up of fans and they do a good job it just takes them an awful long time (laughs) good lord well the sets look impressive i mean i gotta huh uh the sets look impressive like from the videos you look at it and you're like wow it looks like anything you would have seen on TV or something. Well, they recreated the, uh, the, the what do you call it, the, the, bridge, the bridge the bridge of the, of the thing. I have a picture of me sitting in the captain's chair and all this kind of stuff. Like yeah, that is that one, yeah. yeah. Um, but, um, you know, it was, it was fun to do it. Um, we were going to do a thing called Buck Rogers Begins, which was a remake of the old, like the 20s Buck Rogers kind of yeah. thing, and that sort of milieu. And we did a sort of presentation piece. And in the shooting of that, I realized that this really wasn't going to work. 
not that the project was bad. It was just that you couldn't use the kind of fan crew guys because it, they they take too long. Mm-hmm. I mean, as I said, Katumba hasn't been on yet. Well, I did that, what, two years ago? Yep, yep. And it hasn't aired yet. Mm. Uh, yeah, because the they, they come up with like one episode a year or something like yeah, that. It yeah. takes them about a year, sometimes two years or a year and a half to do it. Well, you can't do something for a network and then expect them to sit around for a year for one episode. It's like they expect it every month sure. at least. And then once you get going, they want it every week because they, they need to know they got a schedule. They need to know when it's going to be on so they can market it, they can advertise for it, they can get an audience together for it. So yeah, it, I just realized that you know that they weren't willing to compromise or they weren't willing to, to bring it up to the professional level. Um, and I guess you know it's, it was it would be hard for them to do that because they'd have to give up that kind of fan thing. That, you know, I mean, basically it's like a it's like a little Trek convention when they get together. Well, I guess so. the the difference between uh, you know doing it for a, a network versus versus by your for yourself, or I guess there's a lot of money motivation right there. You know, when you got the network going, let's get it going, let's get it going, rather than fans going, oh, let's let's try this and try this. Is that kind of what you're talking about? Well, especially when it's not so much when they're, they're, let's try this, let's try this. It's it's really more of of um, the network saying, you know, they're paying you money to do this. They're not paying you money. I mean, if you're dealing professionally, you don't have the money to take that long to do. I mean, that's a major motion picture. Sure. They do major motion pictures quicker than a year and a half. That's right. You know, and and so that's, it, you just can't take that kind of time. When you're at a professional level, time is money. And because you're paying these people. Well, see, they don't pay anybody on the, the Star Trek series. Right. And they're not allowed to make money. That's right. So it's just a pure fan thing, which is fine. It's great. I'm, and they do a great job. It's just that they weren't going to... I knew that they weren't going to be able to do this and pull it off. Have you ever wanted to set up your own website? How about post your insights, ideas, or creative works on the web for others to contemplate, comment, or enjoy? Sound intriguing? If so, then WordPress is the software for you. It's so easy to get started and create content. And best of all, it's free. Now, to help you get going, check out the book, Teach Yourself WordPress in 10 Minutes, and the companion podcast, Teach Yourself WordPress in 10 Minutes, in 10 Minutes, hosted by authors Chuck Tomasi and Craig Stepp. Whether you're brand new to WordPress or have been using it for years, you're sure to learn something from Chuck and Craig. In each 10-minute episode, the Companion Podcast covers tips, insights, latest developments, and useful WordPress information that just wouldn't fit in the book. Be more effective with WordPress.com and WordPress.org by listening to the podcast, Teach Yourself WordPress in 10 Minutes, in 10 Minutes. Find it at ChuckChat.com or search for Teach Yourself WordPress in iTunes. Are we likely to see anything else from the Buck Rogers universe that you're aware of? I'm writing a, a new Buck Rogers book. When can we expect that? Uh, I'm doing the best I can, okay? Quit pushing me. <laughs> Jeez. We're writers also, so we know what you're up against. Yes. You, you come on innocently and you say, I'm writing a book. Well, when are you going to have it? When's it going to be out? No, I know right now. These guys are pushy. Um, actually, I'm writing a, I'm, I plan to write a series of four books. 
uh, and basically pick up where the movie ended, the feature, and sort of do the adventures that I always wanted to do as Buck Rogers on the television oh, show. Oh, neat. Okay. So I'm going to go back to Anarchia. Uh, I got a lot of stuff. I'll just give you a little hint. Right now, what's happening with Buck is in the very initial part of the thing is he's questioning whether this is even real or not. Kind of like the the disbelief. I think it was what on Planet of the Apes or something when they went. Well, you know, where well they you think of um, the newer thing uh, about the guy who wakes up. He's in a coma and he wakes up and Matrix. he's no, no. This is a television BBC series. Oh. Um, What's the name of that? A Life on Mars. Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah it's kind of like that in a way. It, it kind of sparked that in my mind. and Because I, I always said, you know, if, if it really happened, let's say you took Christopher Columbus and woke him up now, and somehow he was in, he'd be catatonic. Yeah. He wouldn't just be, he wouldn't be able to, you know, make oh, him right. smart quip, quips and saying, hey, folks, you ought to do it this way. He'd be like, you know, just <laughs> sitting there like, oh, God. You know, yeah, well, we're, well, we're going around. Oh, let me get my cell phone. Yeah, but, but that would make a really boring television show if Buck had just kind of gone. You know, forty-two shows and Buck Rogers is going. We could film that in less than a year. <laughs> yeah, no shit. Dude, that, that took five minutes. <laughs> we'll just keep running that tape, yeah. and there's Buck. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, we need more emotion. Yeah. Faster, more intense. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so I've sort of revisited that, but I, I, I've, I've revisited it in the way that Buck is going, is this even real? Am I lying in a coma? I, again, I stole from Life on Mars, but I'll admit it. So therefore, it's okay. Um, yes, I was part of the Brinks robbery. Okay. Um, that makes it okay. <laughs> I can now spend the money. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hey. I admitted it. I'm fine. Um, so Buck is kind of questioning that. You know, am I in a coma someplace, or is this real? How do I know? Kind of that total recall effect. Yeah, yep. because I'm also going to bring into the effect that Buck, in 1984, 86, whenever he took off, of course he had seen the old Buck Rogers movies. Uh, <laughs> oh, of course. <laughs> and he had, because his name was Rogers, of course they gave him Buck as a nickname. Well, am I the real Buck Rogers? Yeah. Is this some kind of weird kind of thing that I, my mind just snatched up the Buck Rogers thing and now I'm, I remember the old shows? You know, is this what's happening? Or is, I mean, it's like Buck is going, mm, is this real or not? I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm, you know, that old idea of the, that this all exists as a universe inside the leg of a chair in another universe kind of thing. I think that sounds really interesting. It does, and I think audiences are are more in tune with that. Obviously, since they were in '79, uh, you know, they, they they thrive on more of the story behind the story and watch yeah. the watch the characters struggle with those kinds of things. Yeah. Well, one of the things also that comes up because I'm going to go back to Anarchia, but one of the things that comes up is Buck goes to his own gravesite because obviously he was lost in space. If it's real, yeah, oh, yeah, he would see. Yeah. He would see that, and, and even if it's not real. His mind would say, you must have been buried, right? right I mean, right. You would, you're, just logically you would go, well, let's see, I was lost in space. They must have had a memorial service. I'm probably buried someplace, maybe in the family plot. Let me just find that. You know, because he did see, I don't know how the hell he found his parents' grave out of all the graves that must be around after 500 years. Oh, there they are. It's like, hmm, <laughs> very interesting. Um, but we needed that moment. Yeah. Um, 
So what he's going to do is he's going to find he's going to find his own gray, mm-hmm. and he's going to find they put a like a symbolic casket in it, and what he's going to find in the casket is that a friend of his from 1987, a fellow astronaut, put some clues inside the casket in case he ever came back, not thinking it'd be 500 years, but in case somehow he survived actually and made it back, say, in the 10 years or something, that he put some clues in there as to why the spacecraft blew up in the first place. Oh, okay. Which is going to lead Buck into an adventure in Anarchia. And we're also going to deal with the Anarchians and the fact that Buck went out into Anarchia mm-hmm. in the movie and didn't suffer any ill effects. Why are we living under a bubble? A bubble? And why are the Anarchians being treated like the bad guys of, you know, the 25th century? Just why? Because they're, they're misshapen or because they're scarred? I mean, I would think, hey, these people are survivors. Yeah. And yeah. sure, they're they're pissed off because every time I find out that the director has been abusing these people. They come out and every once in a while they do these little pogroms on them, you know, and so naturally they're defensive. So when yeah. somebody comes out amongst them who is not scarred, obviously not a, not a mutant or an they react very defensively because every time someone's come out who looked like me or anybody else from the inner city, they visited harm on them. So it's all this stuff is working. When? When? I got to know when. There you go. Pushing again. So I'm working on the first book, and then what it'll do is is discovering the clue that's in Anarchia, in the in the grave, and the clues will take me to another part of America or whatever, or some other part of wherever it is, and there'll be another clue there, and it'll uh, over four books. I will explore the whole idea of why, who did it, and why did it blow up in the first place. Was it an experiment in cryology, cybernetics, or what the hell is the name of that? Cryogenics. Cryogenics, thank you. Yeah. It's been a long long day. Cryo (laughs) Crybaby. Anyway. Uh, No, that was a Johnny Depp movie. Um, (laughs) It's very much a stream of consciousness thing. And my stream is really f***ed up. Uh, so. <laughs> At least you got water in the stream. Rapids in it, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> We're hitting a rough spot. Um, so, um, where was I? Oh, yeah. Was it an experiment in cryogenics? See how well I, when someone says a word, I, I can repeat it. Um, that's went awry. I mean, maybe the, someone set it up for it to explode. I was freeze in a vacuum. And all that tissue would be preserved, and maybe I was only supposed to come back in five years. And then it would be like, okay, did it succeed or not? Well, if he's dead, okay, we'll send somebody else up. Or was it just an accident? I'm a conspiracy theorist. I say it was a setup. You never know. You don't, I mean, we never, these are all things that we're never treated with. And I just thought, what the hell, it's going to be a book. It might be fun to kind of play with that. Sure, why not? Yeah. So in the writing process, kind of. You mind? I'm talking. Yeah. Jesus, us. I missed one word. Cryogenics, and look what he does. Yeah, excuse us, Chuck. Tries to take over. Can we talk? Yeah. Okay. Sure. Thank you, Chuck. Just sit there. Hold the microphone. Jeez. Okay. You can't take him anywhere, you know. Yeah. No, yeah. God. One word. I know. He leaps on it. 
I got I got pwned by Buck Rogers. <laughs> I beg your pardon. Anyway, um, where was I? Cryogenics. Oh yeah, Dragon Con. I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> so it was just you know maybe he was maybe he was that was supposed to, uh, what was supposed to happen, and then somehow what happened was it went awry and I got boomed out 500 years into the future, and so they'll never know <laughs> what happened. Obviously, it was successful. But is it, you know, is it successful, or am I still floating out in space? Are these just things that are going through my brain out in space? I think it sounds Or have I ever been, was I really discovered by Ardala? Because I don't really, it seems like, yeah, I remember. And then I'm also going to treat with the fact that in the classic Buck Rogers, Ardala was actually one of the directorate pilots. She was not a princess. Oh. And Killer Kane was another one of the pilots who was having a thing with Wilma. So when Buck comes into the picture, Wilma and Buck get together and Killer Kane are you getting tired? Killer Kane (laughs) Killer I start talking about it. Wilma and his arm gets sore. It's kind of interesting. Yes. Let me scoot the chair back. Yeah. Yeah. Please. Can we have the rubber sheets please? Yes. Yes. (laughs) We need a tarp here. <laughs> oh my God! We'll never get this out of the carpet. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, we could sell it. Yeah, well, it's, it's, if it was mine, maybe. But yours? Who cares? Anyway, what happens, what happens at Dragon Con stays at exactly. Hopefully, yes. Yeah, mm. Record it. Yes, it's going to get crusty after a while, but it'll be okay. <laughs> maybe they'll shampoo these rugs in again. Maybe they won't. Where was I? <laughs> See, I just want to see if you're listening. No, I wouldn't talk about Aaron. No, Wilma. Wilma, yes. Yeah, anyway, so I'm going to deal, what's going to happen is I'm going to go out and I'm going to meet, you know, Killer Kane and Ardani. So he's going to, he's going to meet these two. And that's really going to boggle his brain. So then again, you're like, well, was that real? Or maybe they did. Yeah. You know, maybe it didn't happen out in space. Maybe it happened. Maybe I got all the way back. And they're the ones that brought me. They just happened to be there, and it was Killer Kane and Ardala. And I came up with this. I made them a princess and a whatever. Then he wakes up with Suzanne Fouchette. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it's a funny. Suzanne and I did two movies together. And she always told me, she said, I love working with you. She said, you're one of the few men in Hollywood with a deeper voice than mine. <laughs> <laughs> she was great. She was just the best. I really loved her to death. So, and even after her death, so it's a good this lady. Wonderful story, isn't it great? Looking forward to it. So it should be fun. I'm, I'm kind of having fun. With, I'm afraid I don't want to get too involved because then I'm, I'll end up going. I don't know what's just right anymore. I'm sorry. When did you say this was coming out? <laughs> you should be sorry. <laughs> I am sorry. I'm sorry. I can't tell you. Uh, I hopefully I'll have the first one out by sometime next year. Because obviously I've got to write it, and then someone's got to edit it, and you know, yeah, we've been there. and we got to fight, and you know, all that stuff. So I got to slap the crap out of them and say, "This is the way I'm doing it." Go, yeah. you know. Very cool. So it should be, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking people will like it. I hope they do. No, I think I think it's a great story, uh, putting a spin on the whole thing. Because instead of just being like we all know, you know, it's all straight through, but changing it around where you, he's questioning everything, I think it's, I think well, it's, it's great. Still, buck, you know. And it's still going to have the sense of humor and the fun and all that kind of stuff. But it's just going to be like, I mean, hey, guys, is this real? Sure. It, it kind of takes the 20s innocence and brings it up sort of into a more aware kind of 
time. Uh, and I think it sort of updates the psychology of Buck. So it should be fun. I hope it's fun. If it's not, don't read it. Yeah. You know? I, I'll throw it away. Well, I'll definitely, I'm ready to give it a shot right now. Okay, good. Yeah, we'll come back and we'll get a sign next year. Yeah, yeah there you go. Hopefully I'd like it to be, I'd like to at least the first one to be out and published by then. And then what I, what I intend to do really is to write all four stories and then start, you know, one book, another book, so they can come out in some kind of order so that I have time to edit the second book while the first book is out and then edit the third book while the second book, that kind of thing. But have them written at least so that at least roughed out. Gail, it has been a real treat. Thank you very much. I'm glad you got a chance to spend some time with me, really. Yeah. <laughs> it was a pleasure. Thank you. So, Knocking over my merchandise yeah. again. Jeez, let me have that iPad. I'm taking Take care. security right here. Hey, security. Why don't you sign his iPad right here in the middle? <laughs> yeah, right. In Thank you, Gil, for giving us some of your time and sharing such wonderful stories. That's all for this episode of Interface to Face. We hope you enjoyed it. You can find us at ChuckChat.com along with all the other great podcasts that we produce or search for Interface to Face on iTunes and have the show automatically delivered as new shows come out. Theme music provided by George Wood. You can find him at PodSafeAudio.com. Want to get in touch with us? Got an idea of great people in science and sci-fi that you would like us to talk to? Send your email comments to interface to face at chuckchat.com or follow us on Twitter at interface to face. We'll be back where we'll interface to face for you.